welcome to the second episode of No Such Thing as a Brera Quadrifolio, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club to celebrate two years of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast. We're coming to you from four undisclosed locations around the UK, although mostly in the bit at the bottom. My name's Guy Swarbrick, and I'm sitting here with Kirsty Hodson, David Faithful, and Jade Pidgeley. And we've gathered around the microphones with our four favourite facts from the world of Alfa Romeo. And in no particular order, here we go, starting with my fact. My fact this week is that of all the passes Alfa Romeo SUVs have been named after, or we're pretty sure they will be named after, Tonale is the only one that doesn't connect two different countries, although the local language changes near the top. How does that work, Ben? I'll, I'll get to that. Let's look at some of the others first. So the Stelvio is one of the most famous mountain passes in the world. It's iconic for, for drivers and for cyclists alike. It's been a regular climb in the Giro d'Italia and even in the Tour de France as recently as 2018. And that goes from Italy to Switzerland. The Brenner Pass, after which the Brennero, the small SUV due in 2023, is probably going to be named, goes from Italy to Austria and features in the much less prestigious Tour of the Alps bike race. But the Tonale Pass, another Giro d'Italia favourite, connects Alfa Romeo's home region of Lombardy and the snappily named Autonomous Region of Trentino Alto Adige Sud Tyrol, where almost a third of the population speaks South Tyrolean German. Gunther Steiner, the sweary German-speaking team principal of Alfa Romeo's sister-cousin team, Haas, is assumed to be Austrian, uh, but he's actually Italian from a place called Merano in the north of the region and about two-thirds of the way from the Tonale Pass to the Brenner. You mentioned some of the bike races that go over the mountain passes, but one of the most beautiful roads, the Dolomites, is the, the Paso Sella, or Saddle Pass. And this was part of the route of the Dolomites Gold Cup race. And this was a car race on public roads. It took place between 1946 and 1957. It consisted of one enormous 188-mile lap. Unlike a normal race, the Gold Cup was awarded to the driver, achieving the best results over three consecutive years. Bit of a commitment, that. Three years is probably about how long it would take me to cycle up the Stelvio these days. On the subject of the toenail as my non-alfisty friends insist upon calling it. Um, I'm not quite sure I would stay friends with anyone who did that. Quite. But did you know that primates, including humans, are the only animals with nails instead of claws? This means, of course, that none of the other animals on planet Earth can have a tonale. There's nothing here for you, Mr. Tiger, or indeed Mr. Iguana. They'll have to make do with their namesake, the crossover SUV, the Volkswagen Tiguan. It's a combination of the German words Tiger and Leguan, Iguana. And it was chosen by the public. I just think we should probably be grateful that the new Alpha SUV wasn't called Tenale McTenale face. It's all right. It would have been changed at the last minute to Sir David a Tenale Borough. Well, excluding the Alpha Jeep, which is the, the 1900 Matter from the 50s, you could argue that the first modern Alpha SUV was the 33 Giardinetta, the 4x4, which was from 1983. So normally in front-wheel drive, but the four-wheel drive system could be engaged manually by the driver at any speed. And it was it was done by a, a handle in front of the gear lever. So back then, no fancy buttons. It had a raised ride height too, so it was really sort of predating the Audi all-road Quattro from around 1999. We then got the Alpha 156 Crosswagon Q4 in about 2003. That was a facelifted sport wagon with raised suspension and, again, four-wheel drive. It was a really good-looking car that sadly didn't come to the UK. It did stay in production for a good while, though, after the 159 was introduced, finally ending in 2007, before the arrival of the short-lived 159 Crosswagon Q4, and that didn't come to the UK either. This type of utility vehicle disappeared from the Alpha range until the Stelvio appeared 10 years later. 
But by then, everyone else on Earth had got a utility vehicle slash SUV already. Now, the practical high-riding SUV Stelvio has launched with its plastic wheel guards and rear skid plate. It's been lowered and color-coded for the Veloce Ti and Quadrifoglio versions. It's sensing it all somewhere. Although, of course, Alpha did show the uh, Kamal concept in 2003, which was the first concept tagged as, as being a crossover SUV. And it was designed by Juan Manuel Diaz, the Mito and Giulietta designer. And I think that was built on the Fiat Premium platform, and that was shared with the 159 Spider Ambrera. And, of course, they had four, four doors, as all good cars should. Quite so. Kamal, the name in Sanskrit, roughly translates to perfection or synthesis of opposites, which I guess was the coming together of a car and an SUV. There seems like to be uh, some disagreement about the meaning of Kamal. It also seems it translated as beauty and lotus. I'm not quite sure what Colin Chapman would have made of an Italian SUV. And one built on Alpha's heaviest ever platform. Anyway, if you Google the Kamal, you'll see quite some similarities with the new Tonale, particularly in terms of the design, although the concept was fitted with a 3.2 V6 Busso. So that was back in uh, happier times when we could all afford petrol. The only time I've been off-road in a Busso is at Bedford Autodrome, but I didn't do that on purpose. Turns out there is such a thing as going around a corner too fast, even with front-wheel drive. And the uh, waiting circuit photographer put on a fair turn of speed too to get away from me. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Both are running wide on a track and the running away with a camera. With all these 4 by 4s I'm going to have to add a four-wheel drive theme night to our section meetings, aren't I? Maybe after Christmas when it's nice and icy. That's a brilliant idea. I think my spider will then be eligible for front-wheel drive night, rear-wheel drive night, spider night and four-wheel drive night. Okay, I think it's time for fact number two, and that is Kirsty. Okay, so for my fact, I recently stumbled across the results of a YouGov survey about the habits of an Alfa Romeo driver. Looking at our repair bills, this shouldn't come as a terrific surprise to us, but it turns out that we do tend to have expensive tastes, generally. Who'd have guessed? Or mostly in spare parts and beanie hats from the club shop, presumably. Well, 44% of us tend to spend a lot on clothes, compared to 18% of the general public. But the survey doesn't say what sort of clothes or where we buy them. It does say that 39% of us like to stand out compared to 27% of normal people. Yes, yeah, the club shop. Mm. A massive 61% of us can be lured into impulsive purchases, apparently. How many meters have you got, David? Well, one fewer than I need, obviously. <laughs> 58% of us also like to go to trendy. Do people use that word anymore? Trendy people don't. No. 58% of us like to go to trendy restaurants and bars, and they've seen my internet browser shopping history, haven't they? And lastly, 47% of us don't care about our carbon footprint, compared to 23% of muggles. On the upside, that means that most of us do really care. Well, it would be odd for me not to mention the Mito at every possible opportunity, but remember, the Mito Twin Air was one of the first cars, along with the Fiat 500, to meet the sub-100 gram per kilometre CO2 emissions at just 98 grams. So you didn't have to pay for any of the low emissions charges or road tax. As I've said many times before, no cars pay road tax. They pay vehicle excise duty. Yes, all right. Well, vehicle excise, road tax duty. And the Twin Air achieved a acclaimed combined cycle of 67.3 miles per gallon, which was both astonishing and entirely fictional. Entirely fictional, like vehicle excise, road tax duty. But sticking with the meter, as a, a fellow owner myself, 
Mito has always come out really well in the owner's surveys, yet always scores really badly in the magazine scores. In the 2010 Waka, readers voted the Mito the best super mini with a 4.6 out of 5 stars, and it came third overall in the best car. Yet the magazines themselves always rate the Mito one or two stars at best. Well, that's because Mito owners are trendy and cool, whereas motoring journalists present company accepted guy, are typically miserable old sods who only love German cars. It could be that and a lack of doors. I, I could definitely never be described as a lover of German cars, but miserable old sod. Yeah, probably. There are some great surveys out there. My favourite recent one was actually done by Alfa Romeo in the UK. Best tunnels for driving through in an Alfa with the windows wound down. Hindhead. Only four, surprisingly. That's outrageous, but it's very subjective. You might think that, and I might think that. Alfa Romeo created a scientific, and I use the word scientific quite wrongly, tunnel sound index. I'm glad to hear it. This is important stuff. It is, which is why they employed Sandy Brown, one of the UK's leading acoustic consultancies, of which apparently there's more than one, to help them come up with an overall measure. How does that work? I'm glad you asked. This fact would have ended rather lamely if you hadn't, and I'm not going to promise it won't do that anyway. But the TSI consists of two elements, an objective index based on exhaust sound plus tyre, road and wind noise, and a subjective element based on acoustic consultants riding through 10 tunnels nominated by Alfa owners as their favourites in a Stelvio Quadrifoglio with the windows open to see which one they like best. And then those two elements were combined to give an overall ranking. To be honest, that sounds like a shameless attempt to get coverage for the Stelvio in tabloids that wouldn't normally write about cars. So cynical. Did it work? A bit. A couple of mentions on car dealer blogs and local news websites highlighting how well their local tunnel came out. But to be fair, when the press release went out at the end of January, there was a lot going on. The front page of The Guardian had stories about the imminent publication of the, as yet still unpublished, Sue Gray report into Partygate, US plans to divert gas to Europe if Putin turned off the supply, and the cancellation of the Dorset Knob Throwing Festival. Who cares if anyone covered it? Which tunnel won? Never mind the tunnels, David. Why was the Dorset Knob Throwing Festival cancelled? Too popular, apparently. And the tunnels? Tunnels, yes, the tunnels. So the winner was the 658-metre-long Penmenbenbenbach tunnel in North Wales. Penmenbach. Ah, okay. It ranked second on the objective test and first subjectively. So it came out top with tunnels in Saltash in Cornwall and Beaminster in Dorset, second and third. Stop the podcast. Stop the podcast. Do we have to interrupt the flow right now? Well, it's an advertising thing. Every little helps, as they say. This week's podcast is brought to you by numberoneplates.com. That's right. We have a very cool new discount partner, numberoneplates.com. Who I assume make number plates? They do. Number One Plates can design and produce ABS, acrylic and premium plates, including short hex and diamond plates, as well as pressed aluminium and vintage black plates. And I presume you can have numbers on them other than one. And they're all road legal? What about flags and Alfa Romeo logos? They are all absolutely road legal, but if you did want show plates, strictly not for the road, uh, they do those too. And how about custom-shaped plates just for Alfa Romeo? Well, I'm glad you asked that, because they now produce plates in custom shapes for the rear of the Mito, Giulietta and the Stelvio, and they're really nice, normal people based in Leeds. So if someone wants to take their Alfa to them, they're very keen on expanding their custom-shaped plate range for all Alfa Romeos. And I see they have a, an online plate designer, so you can play with all the settings and sizes and so on. 
You can even have a completely legal short plate that will fit in the Italian size recess on the front bumper, provided your registration number is four or five characters long. What's their pricing like? Well, I think their pricing is really good and their rating on Trustpilot is outstanding. And naturally, as a club member, you now get 10% discount on all replacement plates and fittings. So it's a one-stop shop for our members to freshen up their alpha with brand new plates. What was the website again? Numberoneplates.com. And you can find the discount code for this and all our discount partners on our secret members forum at arocuk.com. Okay, on with the show. On with the podcast. Okay, it's time for fact number three, and that is Jade's fact. My fact is the fastest road going Alfa Romeo of all time is actually not the Julia GTAM, the humble Julia Quadrifoglio by five miles an hour. That's got to hurt if you forked out the extra 100k. I know it's a considerable jump from 65k. Even more if we chose a custom livery. True, but there's more to life than top trumps, top speeds, and it's still pretty quick. It's probably the most exciting saloon car that I know. Looks-wise, they're quite different. The GTAM has a new carbon fibre front splitter, rear diffuser, and wing, which you can manually adjust with the three settings, street, low downforce, and high downforce. Plus, the extra aerodynamic bits perfected in the Sauber F1 wind tunnel all the way down the sides and along most of the underside of the vehicle as well. And we all know how much I love carbon fibre with half my Mito being carbon. The car is also, in fact, lower and wider, so it's sitting on stiffer springs and retuned adaptive dampers. The wheels have jumped up to 20-inch and are actually centre-locking, which is the first for a saloon car. Don't get me wrong, though, you have the starting price of 65 k and you can add things like the carbon fibre bonnet and the optional carbon fibre roof to the quadrifolio. But the GTAM already comes with all of that. And I know what I would pick if I could. Now speed, my favourite part. The quadrifolio can do 0 to 60 miles an hour in 3.9 seconds and a top speed of 191. The GTA is 0 to 60 in 3.6 seconds, but the GTAM is taking 3.8 with a top speed of only 186 miles an hour. It's a little bit faster than the twin turbo I'm used to. Going fast, forwards is a bit conventional, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Back in the mid-2010s, the fastest side wheelie, that's a car on two wheels, the fastest side wheelie lap of the Nürburgring was 45 minutes and 59.11 seconds. Was there nothing on Netflix? I'd watch that on Netflix. Meanwhile, back in the UK, we were equally busy racing toilets. The Hawk... The highly advanced water closet Mark 1 reached a speed of 70.5 miles an hour at Elvington Airfield in Yorkshire in 2018. It was flushed at the end of the attempt, proved that it functioned as required, and used a toilet brush as a gear stick. And I have driven worse. Road going out is one thing, but we've covered a couple of record breaking cars in the magazine over the last year or so. Mike Stark's amazing 3.8 litre 156 GTAM, which was briefly the fastest Alpha ever up Chelsea Walsh until it was pipped by a 4C. And Ed McDonough's uh, exploits at Bonneville in the fastest four-cylinder alpha ever back in 2001, which popped up in February's archive column. I suspect, though, that the all-time record holder will be the Alfa Romeo Orland C42 after the Grand Prix at Baku next month. The current fastest speed recorded by an F1 car uh, is held by new Alfa Romeo driver Valtteri Bottas back in 2016 when he hit a staggering 378 kilometres an hour down the main straight in Azerbaijan a fraction under 235 miles an hour. And that's actually only 36 miles an hour more than a Julia. True, although by the time you get to 200 miles an hour, every extra mile per hour takes a lot of effort. 
the new aero rules this year mean that we might see some faster straight line speeds after a couple of years slightly below the peak. Last year, Kimi Raikkonen managed the fifth fastest time of all at 332.3 kilometres an hour, while Alfa Romeo driver, photo competition judge Antonio Giovinazzi was down in 16th, five kilometres an hour slower. Really? You're still going on about the Alfa Romeo driver, photo competition judge Antonio Giovinazzi? Until Valtteri judges a competition for us. Best meter at National Alpha Day? If you can get him to come, we'll add the category. It's in the summer break, so he's not racing. Okay, we've done the fastest. What was the slowest Alfa Romeo? Ever. Well, let's say since mass production started in the 50s. Was it the lowest powered non-turbo meter 1.4? How very dare you. Nope, that was a healthy 103 miles per hour, have you known? Downhill. Was it the earliest mass-produced Alpha, the 1900 Berliner from 1950? Nope, that was also 103 miles per hour, actually. The Alpha Sud 1.2, the 1972? Well, you're getting closer, so that was 93 miles per hour. Wasn't there a really early Italian market-only three-cylinder diesel? Thirty-three, 1.8. Apparently, that was almost as quick as the Sud, 92 miles per hour, thanks to the 33's aerodynamics and, I suspect, a long run down a mountain pass. And it wasn't the little Giulietta 1300 Berlina. That was 87 miles per hour. That was pretty quick for a small family car in 1955. No, it was the Alpha 1900 Mata Jeep with 65 horsepower. The top speed was just 65 miles per hour. So that's one miles per hour per horsepower. Not bad going for something in the shape of a brick. 510 miles per hour from a Julia Quadrifoglio would be interesting. Okay, it's time to move on. And it's time for our final fact of the show. And that's David. I've been looking into other brands with the name Alpha, or to spell it wrong, as many people do online, Alpha with a PH. Well, this is episode 57. So how about something from Heinz? Alphabetti spaghetti? Yeah, nice link, but that's always spelled with a PH. With the tomato sauce theme. Africa's best-selling brand of ketchup is called Alpha from Nigeria. And in true Alpha style, the brand name spelt A-L-F-A, but on their own Facebook page, it has it spelt with a P-H on the header image. The Alpha Hellenic beer is the £37 a case on Amazon. Every Alpha owner's first selfie pick on holiday in Greece. And it's funny you mentioned cases. There was an Alpha 90 in-dash briefcase for sale on eBay a couple of weeks ago from a guy in Portugal. I emailed him to check whether it was left or right-hand drive, but apparently they're the same. Poor bloke probably thought I wanted to buy it. Anyway, my fact is that one of the oldest and world-renowned makers of outdoor boots, trekking and mountaineering boots, hunting boots, ski boots, and boots for the military is the Norwegian company Alpha, spelled correctly. They're not as old as Alfa Romeo, but they started in 1931, and their Alphas have ascended the seven summits and crossed both poles countless times. But I'll tell you what I like about them. It's their concept of alpha for life. And they've actually got a trademark on that. So they have a five-year warranty, which when you take them into a dealer, this is boots, remember, when you take the boots into a dealer and have them serviced, the warranty is extended for another three years. They have the first fully serviceable boots, including the Gore-Tex membrane. And they are genuinely trying to create a world where we don't discard our boots after years of service, but we go to an alpha dealer have them repaired and serviced, then just extend the warranty again. I think that's absolutely brilliant. That is rather good. They obviously need a good dealer network. Well, that is a slight issue for us in the UK, but nothing we're not used to. Most of the dealer network is in Norway, Sweden, and Finland. Though there is one on the island of Svalbard, which is only several hundred kilometres east of Greenland, but you can send the boots back to the factory naturally through the post. I do like the concept of an alpha for life. It might stop me always looking at other alphas for sale. Would it, though? 
Not a chance. Speaking of other products called Alpha, in 1845, a man called Gustave de Laval was born. He developed a separating machine for milk called the Alpha Laval. It uses something called an Alpha disk stack technology. Boring. Anyway, my point is that when he died in 1913, his gravestone inscription read, the man of high speed. So he was actually one of us, it turns out, despite his obsession with dairy products. I like a bit of cheese. There's nothing better to fill up your meal preparation box. Stop it. Apparently, there's also an Alfa Romeo aftershave called Red. Also one called Black and one called Blue. You wouldn't want to combine those last two, one imagines. Generally, though, I feel those colour names are just asking for trouble. At Spring Alpha Day this year, we lined up the Rossos together. Red, right? Not difficult? No. No. Argument swiftly broke out about which version of Rosso that we meant. There's at least four. Can you imagine the sheer level of pickiness of the three colour options? Hold my Alpha Hellenic beer. Right, that's all we have time for this week. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Alpha Driver UK. I'm at AROC Alpha Female. David is at Meter Register. And I'm at AROC Thames Valley. Or you can go to our group account, which is AROC underscore UK official, or our website. We've got all of our previous episodes up there and links to our upcoming events including Southwest Alpha Day at Ford Abbey in Dorset on the 22nd of May. We'll be back with another more conventional episode in two weeks' time on May the 22nd at 1.30pm, available to download from iTunes, Podcast Addict, YouTube, and everywhere else you'd expect. Until then, stay safe.